Hi, my name is Matthew Belisario. Welcome to the Catholic Champion Podcast. It's been quite a while since I've done a podcast, and today's topic is going to be an interesting one and a controversial one. It, it is on the death penalty. It's a subject that I've been studying for quite some time, and I'm going to propose the question, uh, can a Catholic support the death penalty in the United States and be a faithful, good Catholic? There are many who say no. The U.S. Catholic bishops are on a crusade to stop the death penalty. They are not, uh, their intention has not been to make sure that it is used prudently, but it, they have made a campaign to actually end the death penalty. If you go to their website, the USCCB website, you'll see what I'm talking about. They have a complete web page set up on the death penalty, and the quote on the page up top that's highlighted says, quote, ending the death penalty would be one important step away from a culture of death and towards building a culture of life, end quote. So we can see right where the U.S. bishops as a whole stand. They stand firmly against the death penalty. They, they want to abolish it, which means they don't want the state to have the right to use a legitimate form of punishment. And we're going to talk about this. What I want to do is, first of all, present the case that most people make by using the catechism, which is probably what most Catholics are familiar with. It's very only a couple paragraphs that address capital punishment and punishment in general in the catechism. And so I'm going to use that to start off with. And I'm also going to talk about the changes that were made in the catechism. I think that's very important because the first edition of the, the new catechism held the teaching intact, the traditional teaching of the church uh, intact. And when it was changed by John Paul II later in the second edition, uh, this, it, it, was, it was changed. And it was changed based on a quote out of Evangelium Vitae, which I think was even taken further, almost taken out of context in the catechism, and I'm going to talk about that. And, and this is all my opinion. This is all based on my observation of reading these documents, reading the history of the church, reading other popes, reading other documents from the church. And I'm, I'm proposing this as, as my observation. So please don't take me as an ultimate authority in all of this. I'm going to propose to you what I'm reading, propose to you the problem that I see in reading these and trying to reconcile them, and then I'll let you make up your own mind as to whether or not my opinion is a valid one or not. I don't propose to be uh, an expert, a moral theologian that, that holds an authority over the people who listen to this podcast. It's my observation and what I have found, what conclusion I've drawn from my observations, my reading, my study, and so on and so forth. So that being said, I want to be clear on that because I know some people will take me out of context like Mark Shea, like he always does. I've written several articles on my, my website, the Catholic Champion website concerning the death penalty, and I've proposed arguments against folks like Father Robert Barron's opinion, which I disagree with, and uh, he's come by and attacked me, calling me maximum death, uh, not offering any kind of argument, of course, because Mark Shea doesn't do those types of things. He just attacks people's character. So that, But that's what I expect from him, and uh, I predicted that's what he would do right when I wrote the article, and of course he came by and, and did just that uh, concerning the, 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 the refutation that I did of uh, Father Robert Barron. Now, I want to start off with looking at the catechism, the first catechism, which is the 1992 version, I believe. And this is the teaching from paragraphs 2266 and 2267. And then I'm going to go down, uh, I'm going to go further, and I'm going to read to you from the new catechism to give you an idea of what was changed. Then we're going to look at Pope John Paul II's encyclical and see if they, they completely match up or not, or if they're stretching it a bit. Okay, 1992 version says this, paragraph 2266, quote, Preserving the common good of society requires rendering the aggressor unable to inflict harm. For this reason, the traditional teaching of the church has acknowledged 
as well-founded the right and duty of legitimate public authority to punish malefactors by means of penalties commensurate with the gravity of the crime, not excluding, in cases of extreme gravity, the death penalty. The primary effect of punishment is to redress the disorder caused by the offense. That's very important, very, very key. The primary effect of punishment is to redress the disorder caused by the offense. When the punishment is voluntary accepted by the offender, it takes on a value of expiation. Moreover, punishment has the effect of preserving the public order and the safety of persons. Now I want to skip down to 2267. It says, if bloodless means are sufficient to defend human lives against an aggressor and to protect public order. Again, very critical and to protect public order, and the safety of persons, public authority should limit itself to such means because they better correspond to the concrete conditions of the common good and are more in conformity to the dignity of the human person. End quote. So here, the bloodless means are, are asked only if the lives against an aggressor, okay, only if, if the protection of the public order Number one, the safety of persons. Number two, and defend lives against the aggressor at some future point in time that he may attack somebody. So only if all those three things are met, which is very important because the public order, if it's not redressed, then the, the death penalty should be carried out. And the state decides this particular, the state has the legitimate authority to, to do this. And I'm going to use the case of, I'm going to refer to the case of Richard Ramirez because it's a, it's a real case. He's been sentenced to death, I think, by the state of California, if I'm not mistaken. And he's, he murdered at least 13 people and raped them, committed heinous crimes, unspeakable crimes. And the state, in order to redress the wrongdoing done by this man, has sentenced him to death. And I think legitimately so. How extreme of a case do we need? Is that a, a rare case? Is that an extreme case? I think so. And any bishop, I think, who would disagree with that, I don't know what more of an extreme case you can get, except for maybe Eichmann, who uh, wanted to exterminate six million Jews off the face of the earth. Um, you know, this guy murdered 13 people brutally. This is one man, carried out these acts over an extended period of time and did some unspeakably, unspeakable things to them as well while they were alive. Now, this, I'm going to roll down now to the, actually I'm going to stop and look at Evangelium Vitae because I think we're, we're going to look at that and then we're going to go down and look at how the catechism was changed. <clears throat> so John Paul II says this in Evangelium Vitae. These are some quotes from them. This first part will be from uh, paragraph 27, then we'll go to 56. And I'm not going to read the whole thing out to you. I'm just going to read the part that pertains to what I'm talking about. And it says, quote, modern society, in fact, has the means of effectively suppressing crime by re rendering criminals harmless without denying them a chance to reform. Skipping down, the primary purpose of the punishment which society inflicts is to redress the disorder caused by the offense. Again, very important. He does recognize this. Public authority must redress the violation of personal and social rights by imposing on the offender an adequate punishment for the crime as a condition for the offender to regain the exercise of his or her freedom. In this way, authority also fulfills the purpose of defending public order and ensuring public safety, while at the same time offering the offender an incentive to help and change his or her behavior and be rehabilitated. Skipping down, it is clear that for the, these purposes to be achieved, the nature and extent of the punishment must be carefully evaluated and decided upon and not, not go to the extreme of executing the offender and here's a crucial point, accepting cases of absolute necessity, in other words, when it would not be possible otherwise to defend society. Today, however, as a result of steady improvements in the organization of the penal system, such cases are very rare, if practically non-existent. Okay, that's where I want to stop with his, because this is basically the part that gets pulled off into the catechism. Now, he pretty much keeps the teaching here intact. It's... It, Kind of, uh, uh, let me come right out and say, I don't think John Paul II's strong suit was Thomistic philosophy. And that's not insulting the man. I think he was a, a very intelligent man, but he moved around in his 
philosophical mindset. He was more of a personalist. Um, doesn't mean he wasn't familiar with St. Thomas because he did write some encyclicals that were rooted in, in Thomistic uh, philosophy. And, and, and so I don't want to, to overreach here. However, here he, he is almost wavering back and forth because he's talking about the primary purpose of punishments to redress the disorder caused by the offense. If that's the primary, primary uh, means of the primary purpose of punishment, then you can't turn around and take a secondary offense when he says in absolute necessity when it's not possible to defend human society. Now, it depends on how you interpret defending society, okay? Because we can look at defense not necessarily in just a physical incarceration that keeps a person from committing a crime in the future. It, defense of society means defending the common good, which also means redressing the moral order. It means retribution, expiation for the crime. Uh, it means justice in the eyes of God. That's what the state is doing, first and foremost. And then, if it's possible to use medicinal purposes, that's secondary. So I, it's kind of confusing here how, on how the Holy Father wrote this. I think it's very difficult to interpret. It's hard to interpret what he means by defending society. The last line kind of tends to make it think it's a a physical uh, protection because he says steady improvements in the organization of the penal system. Such cases are very rare if practically non-existent. So what he means by that, it's not entirely clear because the penal system is not that great. If any of you people know, uh, if you've studied anything in, in, in criminology, you know that the, the penal system can be a pretty brutal place. And a lot of people don't convert in prison. It's, it's pretty brutal. A lot of people become very hardened in, in, in prisons. So, and also the cases being rare. I mean, if you murder 13 people, is that not a rare case? I think it's pretty rare. In the United States, there's not that many people put on death row overall for the amount of, people, amount of murders that are, that are committed. So I think if we look at the U.S. prison system and look at the, the amount of deaths, the death sentences that we have, it, it's pretty rare if we're going to use this criteria. Of course, this is subjective. Very, you know, rare. What is rare? What does rare mean? Okay. So let's move down now to the second version of the catechism. And we're going to see where a key phrase is going to be changed. Where it says, the phrase in the 1992 edition where it says, the traditional teaching of the church has acknowledged, acknowledged as well-founded the right and duty of legitimate public authority to punish malefactors by means of penalties commensurate with the gravity of the crime, not excluding in case of extreme gravity the death penalty. They replace this in the New Catechism, the second version, with this. Listen to the difference. It says the tradi traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty if this is the only possible way of defending, effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. Huge change. Listen to the first one again. The traditional teaching of the church has acknowledged as well-founded, that's a critical word, well-founded, the right and duty of legitimate public authority to publish malefactors by means of penalties, here's another crucial part, commensurate with the gravity of the crime. That's completely left out. Not excluding in case of extreme gravity the death penalty. Now we get this new abbreviated version. The traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty. Okay, they completely got away. They completely just deleted out the consummate, uh, the penalties, uh, commensurate with the gravity of the crime. That's deleted. And then and they put in, if this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. And here's where we get this whole physical incarceration to where they've taken Evangelium Vitae and they've interpreted it further, apparently. And now they've just turned it into where the death penalty can't be used if we can keep people in prison, adequately keep them in prison. Well, this begs the question, uh, well, what happens if we turn this 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 clause around? If we have a crummy prison system, does that mean we execute everybody to preserve and protect people from aggressors? Uh, that would be a, a critical question. I mean, if, if you're going to use a principle, and you're going to use it as an absolute principle in order to 
to argue against something like this, a punishment, the death penalty, you're no longer going to use the primary purpose, which was stated earlier, to redress the moral order. If you're not going to worry about redressing the moral order anymore, and the only thing you're going to be worried about now is the unjust aggressor committing a crime in the future, and so therefore incarceration is what we're going to do to keep the person from possibly doing that in the future, now we've turned and, turned and stood it upside down. Now we've moved away from the whole uh, retributive, expiative part of punishment, which is the primary purpose. So if the state determines that Richard Ramirez, who has murdered 13 people, raped, murdered them, done whatever else he's done to them, I don't want to go into any details, the state determines that in order to redress this crime, keep the moral order, he must be executed, then that's what the state decides, and it's a legitimate punishment. Well-founded is the right and duty, right? That's what we've been told by the church all the way up until this new version of the catechism. When I get into the old catechisms, I'm going to show you that it's exactly what it says. Well-founded and the right and duty of legitimate public authority is to punish and for the reasons of expiation. And that's the traditional teaching of the church. And that's why the death penalty has always been accepted by the Catholic Church. Now we get a reversal. And it came step by step. And now the new catechism is saying, hey, if we can, if we can defend human lives against the guy in prison, we can't use a death penalty. I find that to be problematic. And I find it to be contrary to what we've been taught prior to this replacement in the new catechism. So let me move on further, because this gets more interesting. I want to look at Cardinal Bernardin and the USCCB to further show you where they're coming from. Most of the new bishops are not to mystic theologians. They're not to mystic moral theologians. This is critical to understand, because they're not speaking the same language that the church was speaking before this new theology was allowed to infiltrate. This is a fact. We can argue whether or not that this new theology is to be accepted, so on and so forth, but it is a fact. We're speaking different languages. You had this new movement of new theology in the 1800s, which I believe stemmed from even earlier uh, earlier philosophies. Uh, you have uh, your, your Kantian philosophy, uh, Descartes, Hegel, Hume, so on and so forth. And you move on and you find these new theologians, which the church opposed. At first, Pope Pius IX, Pope Pius X, all railed against all these new new theologians. But what you end up happening was certain theologians like Henri de Lubac, uh, von Balthasar, Karl Rahner, uh, Edward Skidelbix, uh Yves Congar, uh, and, and, and those kind of guys came in and started using this new philosophy to, to do theology with. And, and, and sometimes they, 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 they did this to do moral theology with, which becomes very problematic when you have no, no, no concrete structure to base your moral theology upon. It, it ends up like an amoeba. It's always moving around. You can't, you can't hold anything down. You can't pin them down. This is a serious problem. And this has been the problem that we've had in the church for the last you know, 50, 60, 70 years. This is what I would call the rotten fruits of modernism. That's my opinion. These errors, I think, once they started this, these errors just started going like wildfire throughout the church. And I think the consequences have been disastrous. We can see that. I think it all even infiltrates down to the destruction of the liturgy, it, it, it comes down to how we view the sacraments. It comes down to how we, we, we have reverence for our Lord when we come into the church. All these things are influenced this. But what I want to do is move on and talk about this new view of social justice, which we'll have, that will spring out of this mentality. And this is very poisonous if we digest this. This is my opinion. The seamless garment. This was... A vehicle, a Trojan horse, I believe, that that was used to deliver a poison pill right into our mouths so that we'll swallow it hook, line, and sinker and end up putting all moral issues on the same playing field 
And what happens is you take abortion, the death penalty, just war, all these things, and they all get tied together as if there is no difference between them and they're all just as important as one another. This is a crucial mistake. And the end results we see the big zero getting elected into office because Catholics don't vote how they're supposed to vote. That's another another issue. But some people, let me stop and explain something. Some people are always criticizing me, asking me why I'm so hung up on this death penalty thing. Well, it's, it's more than just the death penalty that I'm dealing with here. We're talking about moral theology, the natural law, how the church has always interpreted the natural law. And we're, we're looking at a huge change here that's actually destroying people's faith. And it's actually having an effect on how Catholics are living their lives. And, and as a result of that, it is, it is determining how, what kind of influence the Catholic Church has on the world, which at this point is very little. So this seamless garment idea was proposed by Cardinal Bernardin of Chicago. And I find this to be a severely flawed idea. Now, we look at these social justice, social justice issues, and what we're going to find here is that Cardinal Bernardin and the USCCB are going to change things around, and they're going to admit to changing things around. Now, I want to start off and look at Bernardin did pay lip service to the distinctions of guilt and innocence, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to read the quotes from you, though, and show you how he flip-flops. Totally Janus-faced. Says one thing out of one side of his head, something the opposite out of the other side of his head. I'm not attacking the character of the man. I'm attacking the principles that came out of his mouth on this particular issue. Okay? And let me make that clear again. I am attacking his stance in the words that came out of his mouth concerning social justice. And that, what he said, is contrary. They do not hold up to scrutiny. And I'm going to quote them right here for you. Now, in the William Wade lecture series, which he gave in 1984, he did first state that he acknowledged the distinction between innocent and guilty in regards to moral issues such as abortion and capital punishment. But the conclusion that he draws right after this statement is completely at odds with his acknowledgement, okay? You're, you're going to see what I'm talking about. They, they don't match up. It's like saying I'm against abortion, but I'm not going to let this influence how I vote, okay? First, Cardinal Bernardin says this, and I quote, and I'm going to read it slowly so you can, you can hear it. He says, some of the responses I have received on the Fordham Address correctly say that abortion and capital punishment are not identical issues. The principle which protects innocent life distinguishes the unborn child from the convicted murderer. Other letters stress that while nuclear war is a threat to life, abortion involves the, act the actual taking of life here and now. I accept both of these distinctions. Listen carefully, though. He says, of course, but I also find compelling the need to relate the cases while keeping them in distinct categories. So here we're going to see him start to move. He acknowledges the distinctions, and then he says he finds it so compelling that we're going to have to relate the cases anyway, but we're going to keep them in distinct categories. Sadly, however, Bernardin does not keep them in separate at all, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. He uses this cloak of contradiction and ambig ambiguity, which is what it is, and he says uh, this. He says, uh, abortion is the taking, abortion is taking of life in ever-growing numbers in our society. Those concerned about it, I believe, will find their case enhanced by taking note of the rapidly expanding use of public execution. Ha, huh. okay, let me go further. In a similar way, those who are particularly concerned about these executions, even if the accused is taken in another life, should recognize the elementary truth that a society which can be indifferent to the innocent life of an unborn child will not be easily stirred to concern for a convicted criminal. There is, I maintain, and listen to this very closely, because this is important. There is, I maintain, a political and psychological linkage among the life issues, from war to welfare concerns, which we ignore at our own peril. A, 
a systemic vision of life seeks to expand the moral imagination of a society, not partition it into airtight categories. That is from Cardinal Bernardin, A Consistent Ethic of Life, 1984. And I'm not done with him yet. But far from these rejection of airtight categories, he completely rejects really any distinction or categorization in relation to the moral acts that are actually being addressed. Uh, Bernardin here is attempting to sell the idea that if one embraces the state's right to exact the just use of capital punishment, then they're somehow complicit and psychologically linked to the acceptance of abortion. That's what he's saying. He's saying that we're not going to have any, any, any con, uh, compassion for, for, for a guy on death row uh, if we accept abortion. Well, that would be true except for the fact that most people who oppose abortion are, are, are for the capital punishment. So the, the psychological linkage is not really there. In other words, you don't find usually people who are for abortion and for capital punishment. You don't usually find that. Usually the people who are against abor- or for abortion are usually against capital punishment and vice versa. So your pro-lifers, most of the time, they're psychologically not linked together. They are against abortion and they are for the death penalty. So these two acts aren't even really in the same category of murder and legitimate punishment. I think the connection is simply non-existent. Um, so I don't know where the Cardinal's coming from here. It's uh, not as if the acceptance of abortion brought around an acceptance of capital punishment. I think that's ridiculous. Uh, the connection, I think, he, that he imagines here simply does not exist, uh, at least from what I can see and how most of the public thinks. And notice also how you mentioned the political realm here. I, th- I find that quite important because it's going to determine how Catholics vote by how the bishops keep telling us what's important and what's not important. Now, I want to go to the theological linkage because there's no sound theological principle that can really support the Cardinal's fallacious conclusions of this this quote-unquote linkage between abortion and the death penalty. There's no, no, no comparison of the, the two distinct moral acts of murder in the act of just retributive punishment, okay? That's common sense. One's a negative precept, that of murder. You can't do it. Nobody can murder, not the state, not an individual. In regards to Catholic morality and the proper principles that we use to arrive at understanding a moral act, which we, if you understand divine revelation, the natural law and the magisterium and interprets divine revelation and the natural law, it's impossible to even equate the two moral acts of murder and punishment. It's ridiculous. Aside from relating them both to human beings and two and two people losing their lives, uh, there's no comparison because one person's being murdered and the other person is being punished for a heinous crime that he's committed. And in my opinion, only a malformed ideology uh, conjured up by the cardinal using modernist philosophical concepts can account for such a incongruous concept. That's my opinion. <clears throat> but in order to drive home the seriousness of this, what I would, would call a modernist error, I would like to quote another comment made by Cardinal Bernard in 1985 in his address to the Criminal Court of Cook County. And it's called The Death Penalty in Our Time, uh, 1985. And I think it is here that we're going to find the telling of the tale. It's here that he readily admits that the core principles the church held in a consistent form which is that of Thomism concerning moral theology, in regards to moral acts like capital punishment, that they have been rejected by the bishops. So pay close attention on what he says here. He says, and I quote, First, they review four traditional arguments justifying capital punishment, retribution, deterrence, reform, and protection of the state. Based on their review, he's talking about the the bishops here, the religious leaders have argued that these reasons no longer apply in our age. End quote. Let me read it to you again. They review the four traditional arguments justifying capital punishment, which has always been retribution first, deterrence, reform, protection of the state. Based on their review, these religious leaders have argued that these reasons no longer apply in our age. And there we have the old modernist, uh, you know, morality changes with the wind. 
now we've got a new uh, new culture, a new age, new prison systems. This stuff just no longer applies. The principles, we can do whatever we want with them. I think this is a startling comment by the Cardinal and why people just didn't go up in arms about it. I, I cannot figure out. But what this is going to prove, and I'm going to quote further, that the bishops have fully rejected sound moral theology in, in favor of modernist inventions. Somehow the bishops concluded that the natural law, moral theology, can change. And this is contrary to what the church has always taught, contrary to what Pope Pius XII taught, especially on a death penalty, that it doesn't change concerning the culture. Now, Bernardin cited the USCCB statement penned in 1980 as denying also the traditional Catholic teaching in regards to retributive punishment. And this is what he says, quote, such punishment might satisfy certain vindictive desires that we are the victim might feel, but the satisfaction of such desires is not and cannot be an objective of a humane and Christian approach to punishment. Very crucial here. But what are they doing? They're taking retribution and they're turning it into just vindictive desires by the victims, as if the victims, as if almost as if the state is 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 killing in revenge for the victims, the, the families of the victims. Uh, and this is not what retribution is. The state is, is intending to kill for the restoration of the moral order. And, and I have to laugh, and I want to stop here because uh, for a second and explain something here when we talk about retribution and vengeance and we, we read in the old, what the popes were talking about is this retribution and vengeance and uh, expiation was the church, was, was the, the state working in the place of God and they're carrying out a punishment of a, basically from a divine authority. So it's not a victim's, uh, their, their desires that they seek blood and this and that, like these, like he, they're trying to paint here this picture to try to repulse people. I find it disturbing and I find it to be dishonest because they're not portraying the true teaching of what retribution and expiation is. And this, this, this also falls into that. I saw Helen Prejean speak not long ago, and it was appalling. It was appalling that she spoke in our diocese. I find it, I'll stop there. Uh, her, her talk was unbelievable. All the arguments that she used were emotional arguments. They were not theological in any way. They were not based on any principles of the natural law. Um, and, and she tried to pull this, this same kind of garbage where she pulls up these, these quotes by these families of where their daughters are heinously slain. And, and, and she quotes them and, and they're saying that don't kill in our name. Don't let the state kill in our name. Well, this, that's a complete fallacy. The state's not killing in their name. They're not killing because the families want vengeance. That's not what we're talking about. And I find Sister Helen preaching to be completely dishonest in portraying that and using that in her talks to try to get some emotional uh, reaction from the people that she's talking to. So now, no longer does the USCCB regard retributive punishment as a valid argument for the death penalty. And we can see here uh, what they're doing. Uh, this is contrary to where I'm going to go and look at the traditional teaching of the church here in a moment. But we're going to go, we can look at what the, the, the Catechism of Trent says which is, is going to say that it's well-founded. It's the right and duty of legitimate public authority to punish malefactors by means uh, of penalties commensurate with the gravity of the crime. That, that was in the first edition of the New Catechism too, wasn't it? But everybody forgets about that. It's all been deleted now and replaced in the New Catechism. It's no longer well-founded. It's no longer the right and duty to punish malefactors by penalties commensurate with the gravity of the crime. That's all been forgotten about. So now the USCCB has just simply turned retribution into a form of personal vengeance. That's what they've tried to do. Instead of a just punishment pertaining to the restoration of the moral order. I, again, I find it dishonest. Uh, it's a redefining of what retributive punishment is. Uh, Pope Pius XII in 1954 said, quote, It should be noted that to vindicate the moral order means not the taking of vengeance upon the criminal, but imposing upon the criminal some act or loss or suffering as a form of uh, compensation to the right and balance of justice. Again, the Pope understood that it's, it's a balance of justice. It's a, it's a, it's, and I'm going to read more from Pope Pius XII here in a moment, so that we understand when he's talking about 
personal vengeance and vengeance that the state exacts. These are different things. These aren't, these are not interchangeable. And again, when you're a modernist, language doesn't mean anything to you. You can just throw terms around and it doesn't, you can just use them however you want. Uh, justice here, however, has no place in the minds of most of our bishops today. Let me continue on a little bit more with Cardinal Bernardine. He continues on to summarize his position after citing the above patches from the USCCB's erroneous assessment of retributive punishment. Okay, he says this, quote, basing on their judgment on this and similar lines of reasoning, many religious leaders conclude that under our present circumstances, the death penalty as punishment for reasons of deterrence, retribution, reform, or the protection of society cannot be justified, end quote. So simply put, the USCCB has wholly rejected the accepted norms of defining the moral act of punishment, and in doing so, they've rejected every principle used to determine what just punishment is. In short, yes, Thomism, solid moral theology, rooted in scholasticism has been substituted with a smorgasbord of modernist philosophy, which has now resulted in the rejection and overturning of what punishment is. Now, one, a lot of people ask me, well, what can be the harm of, of, of saving an innocent life? Or, or, I'm sorry, saving a person's life. Uh, you know, even if the person is guilty, you know, what are you getting so upset about wanting, you know, as if I'm the, wanting to take personal vengeance out and kill the guy? That's not what I'm saying. And I'm, I've never said that the state can't take ex make exceptions and, and show mercy on people. All that's beside the point. The state could do that if it so chooses to do this. But my argument is that the state should not be coerced into doing away with the death penalty by abolishing it based on a faulty principle. So if we equate a prisoner on death row with an innocent life in a mother's womb, this is a serious problem because, it's, uh, it, first of all, it's undermining objective truth. Okay, and this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to use this whole consistent life ethic. Consistent. In order to be consistent, they say that we can't accept the death penalty. Uh, and we can't, we, we can't accept the death penalty it, we, the same as abortion. So if we're against abortion, we have to be against the death penalty. And otherwise, they're going to call you inconsistent. But the only thing that's inconsistent is the brain in between their ears because they can't reason what the difference is in two moral acts of murder and punishment. Okay? So let, let me move on. This is a vehicle that's used to spread false philosophy under, under something that appears to be a very noble you know, position. Oh, what, what kind-hearted Christian could be opposed to saving in a life? You know, but it, what it does is it forces Catholics to either embrace this false system this corrupted, seamless garment, or else be ostracized by everybody, all the, the, the bishops and these pop Catholic apologists like Mark Shea, because, they're, because somehow you're not being consistent and you're not being obedient to the magisterium. Well, the magisterium is not teaching this. The magisterium, if we look at Pope John Paul's encyclical, has been taken further than what the encyclical ever said. And I've demonstrated that by looking at the new catechism and how it takes it further, and how these bishops, the USCCB and the Cardinal and the Seamless Garment have all taken it way further than what it was ever written in, in, any, in any Pope's encyclical. Now the lie has been so widely accepted that it appears that, you know, you cannot be against the killing of an innocent baby uh, and, and yet allow a guilty person to undergo just punishment of death penalty. So this delusion of the seamless garment is a tool, in my opinion, of modernist heresy. That's an objective truth being undermined under a veil of a perceived good. That's what it is. Saving a life is all that matters, and in, to hell with the distinctions. That's what they do. That's what the modernists do. They don't have distinctions. They don't understand moral theology. They are not able to distinguish between one moral act and another. It's just someone's dying and we've got to stop it. However, I'm not done because the falsehood also has another corruption factor built into it. And that is it allows the whores of abortion to be downplayed. as just another life issue among everything else. Now, of course, 
all the bishops are not guilty of this. There have been many bishops that are against abortion. However, they sure spend a lot of time worrying about the death penalty, writing letters and everything else. For every death penalty, which may be, what, two or three a year that might come up in the state of Florida, maybe, in Texas, you got a few more, and that they'll spend, uh, they'll sit down and they'll put together this, this letter and talk about human dignity. But do I see a letter going out every day for abortions, innocent, uh, innocent lives being murdered? Do I see them pestering the politicians over and over and over to change the laws of abortion in this country? I don't think so. I don't see it. So what we have here from this seamless garment and this modernist nonsense is we have complete bodies of bishops that spend enormous amounts of time, resources, money to stop the execution of guilty people. Richard Ramirez murders 13 people. We're going to spend, we're going to write letters and we're going we're gonna to petition that he be saved. Uh, rather than focusing on a real immoral action that's always wrong, such as mass slaughter of innocent babies. That's the problem. And that is what we have today. Say what you will. Whenever objective truth is sacrificed, there are consequences. And these are the consequences. What do we have? Well, we have people now that are going to, when they go to the voting booth, they're not going to worry about abortion. Huh. If a, a candidate is for the death penalty, well, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull my lever there. And it's just equal to the death. It's equal to abortion. Of course, the magisterium doesn't teach that. And the CDF talk clearly against that in one of the documents that all these moral uh, dilemmas, these moral issues are not on the same level. But you'll never know that by the teaching that we're getting here on the death penalty, will you? So the seamless garment, I think, gives a false notion that taking of all human life is somehow all evil. Uh, however, this is not the truth. As we know, the fifth commandment talks about murder, does not talk about the state uh, rightfully taking a person uh, for a just punishment. Now, I want to move on and look at what the traditional teaching of the church is. And this is going to be important because I want to, what I want to do is look at what, the, what punishment is. I touched upon it a, a bit earlier on the on what the first catechism said, but I want to pull up and look at what, let's say we pulled out a moral theology textbook from the 18, late 1800s or even up to the 1950s and even the 60s. You, if you're familiar with the uh, moral theology book called Right and Reason, you'll go in there and you'll see that, that punishment is going to be taught the same way. Uh, and you're going to see this has always been consistent so when we look at one of the textbooks I want to look at here is was published in 1895 by a Reverend Charles uh, Coppins, S.J. And the work of the title, or the work uh, of the title, or uh, sorry, the, the title of the work is a brief textbook of moral philosophy. Now it goes into why punishment's necessary in order that civil society may attain its end. He says that is the, the end is the maintenance of the social order. So he says to secure this, it is necessary that advantage and pleasure be consequent on the observance of order. But the criminal disturbs the order of things by seeking to make advantage and pleasure consequent upon disorder. Accordingly, justice requires for the restoration of right order, which he has disturbed, that he shall lose advantages or feel pain. For this purpose, then, various kinds and degrees of punishment are needed to match the various kinds of evil things and the various grades of guilt. Hence, one purpose of legal punishment is expiation. He goes on and explains that the penalty should be, for the, the, be proportioned to the crime. Then he talks about other means, reasons for legal punishment, he, he, he lists them in order of importance. He says it's, first of all, expiatory, which I talked about, retributive. It, it, it makes amends for the, the, the crime committed. It's a deterrent, secondarily. And it's medicinal, thirdly. Now, the medicinal part may not always be possible. And you'll see this referenced over and over in, in, in all your moral theology books. 
He says, in a civil society, punishment is chiefly expiatory and deterrent, and it need not be medicinal. Very important here. If we're going to look at the death penalty, we're going to be looking at it under these particular, it's a punishment, and it's going to be, it should be looked at falling into these categories. Punishment's first expiatory. It has to redress the crime committed. Again, if the state feels that it determines that that Richard Ramirez deserves the death penalty for the heinous crimes he's committed in order to restore the moral order in expiation for what he's done in the past, not for what he might do in the future, I mind you. We don't know what he's going to do in the future if he's going to murder 13 more people. Obviously, we're not going to let him out so we can find out. But just keeping him incarcerated so that he might not do it again is not punishment. Now, it could be an appropriate punishment. Let's say somebody steals a car, okay? I might not put him to death for that, obviously. But I might put him in jail and have him out making uh, little rocks out of big rocks for 20 years. First of all, for what? To keep him from stealing another car in the future? No, it's to punish him for stealing a car in the past. Therefore, he makes little rocks out of big rocks. And at the same time, he's in prison he also can't steal another car. That's secondary. Okay, so hopefully you're getting the catch here. This is how it's always been taught. Um, now he continues on, and he talks about that civil society has a right to inflict the death penalty for enormous crimes. And he gives an explanation. I want to read this explanation. He says, We know from Revelation that God has bestowed this right upon civil authority. Who? We maintain here that it belongs to civil society by the principles of natural reason. And that's always been my argument here, that the bishops in mass are going against the natural law, natural reason, the, the principles of natural reason. And he says, here's the proof that he gives. The means employed by civil society must be sufficient to attain its end. Now, in many cases, nothing less than capital punishment is sufficient to attain that end. Why, he says, for, A, there are criminals so depraved and so indifferent to other forms of punishment that the death penalty alone can deter them from committing uh, enormous crimes. Okay, that's one reason. But here's another one. Such crimes such as deliberate murder, treason, parricide, disturb the moral order to such an extent that capital punishment alone approaches a proportional atonement. Oh, how we forget that nowadays, don't we? Let me read it again. Some crimes, such as deliberate murder, treason, parricide, disturb social order to such an extent that capital punishment alone approaches a proportional, proportionate atonement. Can't be any more clear. This is a moral theology book from 1895. This is how the church has consistently taught this. How are we to reconcile this whole new way of thinking where it's only now for keeping the guy from murdering 13 people in the future? This, to me, is disconcerting. This is, this is, really bothers me. So now I want to move on. And I want to talk about Father Barron just a moment. Who, by the way, uh, he does a lot of good stuff, but I find him to be all over the map when it comes to theology. You can't tell where he's coming or going if he's He's quoting von Balthasar one second. He's quoting Thomas Aquinas another second. He's in, trying to interchange all these things. And, and, and you know, the, the, the man is, is a smart man. But when you try to interchange these things, I don't care how brilliant you are, you cannot reconcile what these types of, uh, these, these philosophies, they're not reconcilable. They, they, they're not even, it's like you're talking on two different wavelengths, Okay. So, Father Barron, I'm just going to kind of give you a summary that he wrote an article praising praising uh, a governor. I think it was, uh, let me see here, a governor, Pat Quinn, uh, from a, a, for a passage of a bill which outlawed uh, the death penalty in Illinois, I believe. Let me let me turn to that. Um, so, Father Barron comes writes this article praising Governor Quinn for outlawing the death penalty in Illinois. But what I find 
disturbing is who does who does does Father Barron quote? Here's what he says, and I want to want to quote this. He says, "A Catholic, Governor Quinn, readily admitted that he consulted the Bible in the course of his ruminations and at the teaching of the late Cardinal Joseph Bernardin played an important role in his determination to change the law." He quoted Bernardin to this effect. In a complex, sophisticated democracy like our means, means other than the death penalty are available and can be used to protect society. Again, protection of society means only to these people keeping somebody incarcerated so that they can't kill 13 more people again. That's what protection of society is to these people. They don't understand the common good. They do not understand what it means to protect society. It's not just a physical protection. It is a restoration of the moral order. They don't get it. As far as what scripture the governor took out of context, I, I don't, I don't know. I'll leave that that aside. Um, now <clears throat> he he moves on, and and here's one thing that disturbed me of what Father Barron said, because he he this, these are his words. This is what he said. He said, "Quote the cardinals," which he's talking about Cardinal Bernardin. The cardinals' way of approaching the question is in line with the classical Catholic tradition of moral reflection the foundation of which is a profound respect for the dignity of the individual made in the image of God and destined for eternal life. Catholic teaching holds that life, when threatened, can be protected. And this is the foundation for legitimacy of self-defense at the personal level and for police action and just war at the broader, more societal level. Father Barron is all over the place here. Doesn't know, uh, I'm going to be respectful here, he just doesn't know what he's talking about because he's comparing personal self-defense with police action and then ties it into the death penalty. He's all over the map here. They're not even the same thing. A personal self-defense, someone breaking into your house trying to kill you and you use a lethal means to stop them is not the same as the state taking a criminal who's been convicted for crimes in the past and then sentences them and kills them as a form of punishment. There is nothing in moral theology that are similar between these two acts. And this, again, is the problem when you don't have proper foundation in moral theology. This is, if read Dr. Stephen Long on this, he says it's a huge mistake to, to, to take these two and compare them. You're, you're going to get yourself into huge trouble. And this is what Father Barron has done. Uh, and also what's also appalling to me is that he's telling us that the, the Cardinal's thinking is in line with that of classical Catholic tradition. When the Cardinal Bernardin told us that he was going against traditional teaching. It no longer applies in our age. This is what the cardinal says. How, how is he, uh, if the cardinal tells us in his own words that he is not going to go along with traditional Catholic teaching, why is Father Bering telling us that he is? It's, it's very, this is to me just disturbing. Uh, maybe some people out there will disagree with me. Uh, and, if, and if you do disagree with me, post up some comments on, on here. I'm going to post up on my website. And, and post up some comments and explain to me why you think that this stuff is justified. I'd love to hear what you have to say, okay? And he, he moves on. But in this self-defense, and I'm quoting him again, uh, Father Barron, but in this self-defense, again, it's not self-defense, but uh, okay, he goes on. But in this self-defense, given the preciousness of human life, the least possible means should always be employed. If someone is threatening my person, I'm justifying and stopping him. But I must do so in such a way as to cause him the least damage possible. Again, he is just off the map on this one. For example, I may shoot him. But I should endeavor as far as I can to shoot and wound and not to kill. Even if police work or military action, a defender is obliged to follow the same principle. Again, he does not understand what he's talking about. Then he goes on and talks about the, 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 the fire bombings of Dresden and the atomic bomb are unjustifiable, which is, again... I really just don't understand where he where he's coming from with all this. If you read St. Thomas Aquinas, and he, he Father Barron claims to be this great studier, this great student of St. Thomas, I I really don't understand how you can you can take all these moral issues and ball them together. Uh, Self defense is not the same as 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 police action. It's not the same as a just war. Uh, it's not the same as punishment. These are all separate things that need to be looked at, and it all boils down to authority. An individual does not read Aquinas. An individual does not have authority to kill people. The state, however, is given the means by God to carry out such a punishment. 
So why he's equating this, talking about shooting to kill and somebody attacking him and all this, as if the state is, is acting in self-defense, is, is a huge mistake. And, and this is why I took him off my website, because, look, I'm not, I'd never claim to be some great theologian, but this stuff is pretty basic, I think. Most of us can understand this if we read these Thomistic books, look at what the church teaches, look at what these Thomistic scholars are writing and interpreting Aquinas and how Aquinas has been traditionally interpreted, and, and look at what Aquinas writes in, in the Summa and his different writings, and you're going to see that these things, you cannot put all lump them all together. I, I don't understand why he does this. I, I, and, and, of course, if you're going to read Cardinal Bernardin, we can see what's happening. He's, he's, he's trying, he's getting confused. So, <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, I kind of got a little uh, sidetracked there. Um, so, as I said, this has nothing to do with self-defense. There's no physical unjust attack being carried out by the, by the prisoner. Um, and the, 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 I'm going to read something from the Catechism of Trent, which tells us that in reference to legitimate authority, that, that the state can punish. So now he says, now the punishments inflicted by the civil authority, which is the legitimate avenger of crime, naturally tend to this end since I give security to life by repressing outrage and violence. End quote. This is what the, the Council of Trent or the, the Catechism of Trent is telling us, that the civil authority has the uh, ability to be the legitimate avenger of crime, and it has a legitimate authority to carry out the death penalty. It's not self-defense. They don't have to use the least amount of of incarceration or, or the least amount of penalty necessary to keep the guy from, from killing somebody else. I hope I've made that clear. So Father Barron here has missed the point. I think he's demonstrated he's not very familiar with Thomistic moral theology. Um, and, and here's where I want to quote Dr. Stephen Long. He says, and again, read his, read his article. Uh, you really get a lot out of it. He says this, Quote, but to formally commingle private, individual acts of self-defense with the political community's exaction of justice is seriously problematic. Let me read that to you again. But to formally commingle private, individual acts of self-defense with the political community's exaction of justice is seriously problematic. And I wish Father Barron would read that. I wish he would read Dr. Long's article, and then maybe he'll understand how a real Thomistic scholar works instead of trying to mesh all this stuff together. It's, it's really unbelievable. Uh, I, I would continue on here, but I don't want to bore you with, with the whole refutation. If you want to read the, my whole refutation uh, against Father Barron, uh, you can go to my website, and on the right sidebar you'll see uh, uh, the article of my refutation on the death penalty concerning uh, 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 Father Robert Barron. Uh, I would uh, like to end this by looking at, or, or by, by stopping to look at what this whole proposal that we have in the church now um, concerning punishment, because what we're really seeing is an overturning of, we're seeing a redefining of what punishment is. And they're trying to whittle down capital punishment to where it's not punishment. It's going to, what they're going to do is they're going to try to redefine it to state-sponsored killing or, or some other creative uh, name, and, the, and they're going to make it look like the state's murdering people. That's what they're going to try to do. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to try to outlaw it completely, which the bishops are already trying to do. But the principle that they're using for just incarceration, keeping the guy from killing 13 more people in the future, I hope I've demonstrated that that's erroneous. Here's a crucial thing um, that, I, that also that I, I think you should be aware of. If you're going to read Aquinas and you're going to read the traditional um, teachings of the church, when it comes to the intended killing, okay, in, in, in the case of capital punishment, I, I've already told you that it's first to restore the order of justice for expiation and in proportion to the crime to restore the moral order. Um, I think it's important to point out that capital punishment can also be a mercy that people don't realize that this world is not all there is and that 
as Aquinas talked about, that if a person wouldn't repent on their, uh, uh, you know, on their their pending death, they're probably never going to. It's a good. He says it's a it's it's a, a good uh, a good chance that they'll probably never repent. Okay, and if you're going to be in prison for fifty or seventy five years, it, who knows? Uh, of course, these these things are subjective. I can't say that a person who spends 50 years in, in, in prison would never convert. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if a person is getting ready to be punished, be killed, uh, that they would have this, hopefully, a recourse. They would, they would turn around and they would, they would repent for their sins and hopefully they would receive um, eternal life. Because justice can also be a mercy. And in an in, intimistic paradigm of divine of, of justice, it's it's looked at as divine justice. Again, please don't look at it as being a punishment of vengeance for the the, the 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 only the victims and the victims' families, as if the state's killing in their place. That's not what's happening. And again, I quote Doctor Long here, and I I I, I uh, again I, I he's a great intimistic theologian, and I don't think that I'm an expert on his work. Uh, I quote, uh, I've read all, uh, uh, everything I can get my hands on by him practically. Um, and this is a, a great quote that, that I think sums up what justice is. He says, quote, in Thomas's account, legal justice imitates according to its powers the divine justice. Listen again. In Thomas's account, legal justice imitates according to its powers the divine justice. We see this as nowhere to be found in Cardinal Bernardine's, uh, the USCCB, Father Barron. Um, we don't we don't see this in any of these. Um, we we see Saint Thomas also saying, and where I was talking about that, uh, where a great stress is put today on reforming the criminal. But here's what what Saint Thomas Aquinas says. The fact that evil ones, as long as they live, can be corrected from their errors does not pro prohibit that they may be justly executed. For the danger which threatens from their way of life is greater and more certain than the good which may be expected from their improvement. They also have at that critical point of death the opportunity to be converted to God through repentance. And if they are so obstinate and even at the point of death their heart does not draw back from malice, it is possible to make a, a quite a probable judgment that they would never come away from evil. Summa Contra Gentile, Book 3, Chapter 146. So, I would like to, 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 to stop here. I think I've gone on quite a while now. I could go on uh, even, even further. But I want to leave you with another quote that I think adequately sums up um, what I'm talking about here. And it's by a great mystic theologian, Dr. Ralph McInerney. And I, I like this, this, what he says here, because I think it sums up everything that I've talked about today. And I think what, what we've seen here is an attempt by the U.S. bishops. And I, I don't, even Pope John Paul II was against the death penalty, and he always petitioned against it. I don't even think that his encyclical goes as far as what these people are taking it. Um, but read Dr. Stephen Long's article again on Evangelium Vitae and, and see what you think about that. See if you can get your hands on that. Here's what the great moral theologian Ralph McInerney once wrote. And here it is. I'm going to read it to you slowly, and then I'm going to end with that. Quote, Some have said that retribution is no longer part of the church's view of punishment. This is false. Some will speak as, as if there is an equivalence to be made between the life of a guilty and condemned murderer and an unborn child, and seek on that basis to link opposition to abortion and opposition to the death penalty. This, too, is nonsense. Incubated in a society which, permitting some citizens to take the lives of other innocent citizens, sees a moratorium on the death penalty as a moral imperative. But keep in mind that protecting society is only the second purpose of punishment. If, however, rarely the state's right to take the criminal's life is legitimately exercised, only recourse to the primary purpose of punishment. Redressing the wrong can justify it. It will not do to say that locking Adolf Eichmann up will prevent him from continuing with the final solution and give him a chance to repent. 
by his crimes, Adolf Eichmann had forfeited his own life. One life compared with six million seems reasonably disproportionate, but it is the most that could be exacted from Eichmann, and it justly was. And I'll leave you with that. I hope that you have something to chew on now. I know I've gone on for over an hour. And again, I'm not speaking as some uh, as the Pope. I'm not speaking as uh, as an authority. I'm speaking as a Catholic layperson who, who as tries to live the Catholic faith, tries to understand the Catholic faith, tries to communicate it as best I can to other people. And I am giving you my observation on what I see going on here with the death penalty and the problems that I see here uh, happening. And so again, if you disagree with me, hey, I have no problem with that. I'll, I'll be glad to debate you, glad to discuss it with you, either via email, uh, a written debate, an oral debate, a live debate. I'm, I, I'm all, all for it. I'm not one of these people that hides behind the keyboard and insults you like Mark Shea does because, you know, and then pontificates and, and, and calls you, uh, a bad Catholic because, uh, you know, you disagree with the death penalty or, or, or whatever. These are my observations. And, uh, you know, this is what I, what I put forth here. So I, I hope you at least got some entertainment out of it. And um, I wanted to have another podcast here in the near future on some other uh, topics. But uh, thank you very much for listening. And may God bless and keep you. Until next time, take care.